Hey everyone, welcome to The Lab. This is 538's NBA podcast for June 4th, 2018. My name's Neil Payne. I write about sports for 538. I will be your host and I'm joined in studio by 538's Kyle Wagner. Hey Kyle. Hey Neil. You enjoy that uh, that game last night? For a while. Yeah, for a little bit. A little less exciting than, than game one, but I think we can get some stuff out of it. Uh, our fellow 538 sports writer and usual co-podcaster Chris Herring uh, was at the game. He's currently, I think, on a flight back from California, so he's away for our show today. But today, we're going to talk about that Warriors win in game two of the NBA Finals and whether the Cavaliers have any chance to turn things around as the series shifts to Cleveland. But first... We're going to have a word from our sponsor, ZipRecruiter. Every company would love to find the LeBron James of their particular field, but as any coach or GM could tell you, it's not easy to find someone like LeBron. Luckily, ZipRecruiter might be able to help you find your own personal LeBron. ZipRecruiter built a platform that finds the right job candidates for you based on what you're looking for. It identifies people with the right experience and invites them to apply directly to your job. These invitations have revolutionized how people find their next hire. In fact, 80% of employers who post a job on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site in just one day. And they even spotlight the strongest applicants so you never miss a great match. The right candidates are out there and ZipRecruiter is how you will find them. And right now, listeners to the lab can try ZipRecruiter for free. That's right, for free. Just go to ZipRecruiter.com slash the lab. That's one word. ZipRecruiter.com slash the lab. Your LeBron James is waiting for you. So don't miss your chance. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash the lab. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. And now, back to the show. If the Warriors were lucky to squeak out a victory in Game 1, they really left little room for chance to play a role on Sunday. They ended up beating the Cavs 122-103 to to take a 2 to nothing NBA Finals lead. Uh, Kyle, I want to read off some of the stats about the Golden State offense in this game because I think it was pretty much a clinic for them at the offensive end. They shot 57% from the floor. They went 15 for 36 from three. Steph Curry broke Ray Allen's NBA Finals record with nine three-pointers in the game. Kevin Durant was 10 for 14, uh, one of his few games in which he shot better than 50% from the field recently. Uh, Durant, Curry, and Clay Thompson all scored at least 20. And finally, they also outscored Cleveland 25-14 to 14 in transition, according to Second Spectrum. So, Kyle, what stood out to you the most about how Curry and the Warriors got their offense going in this game? Well, there it is right there, Steph Curry and the Warriors. It right. was... Uh, and so, like, watching the game, there were parts where you were just like, where's Kevin Durant? Like, Durant had a good line. He had, like, 26 points or whatever it was. He had, it was uh, like a seven quietly yeah, yeah, efficient uh, but high scoring. It was like what you want out of Durant when it, this it offense was a lo- works. It was a lot like what he was last season where he, he played a bigger role than that last season. But uh, not by much uh, where he was just a part of the team. He would – and then in the finals, he, you know, kicked it into gear where – uh, that was a very close series, even though it was over, uh, in only five games. Uh, those, those games came down to, to him needing to make shots and like needing to do things. And he stepped up and did that. But throughout the season, his true shooting percentage was through the roof because his usage and like the, the ways that he, in which he was, you know, utilized was way down. And, uh, you know, the story goes that when he went down to Miami and Pat Riley was just like, look, you're holding the ball way too much. Like you're just playing a very difficult style of offense. Like, why would you do that? Here's how we'll, here's how we'll get you into, you know, better situations. Then he went and did that in Golden State, obviously. That's the story Dan Lebertard tells all the time. But I mean, then this season, he stopped, uh, for long periods where he would just hold the ball. He would hold the ball. And so in this game, no, he was, he was 
not quite invisible, but he wasn't holding the ball. He wasn't dominating the way that uh, he had in the first game, the way that he had at times in the conference finals. And the way I've been talking about this uh, this series with you know friends and you know colleagues was that in 2015, uh, when the Cavs went up 2-1, they lost the the game one overtime. Uh, the Warriors had uh, until they went to the death lineup slowed down to kind of match up with the Cavs. Like they they'd matched up with Timofey Mozgov, they'd matched up with uh, whatever they were playing David Lee. And in a way, Durant had kind of done that to them, uh, t- done that to this offense. So so last night, no, they were moving the ball. Steph was making the pass, making the cut to the corner. They were getting the ball to him as soon as he was springing open. Uh, and you know, Clay, you know, shot the lights out and shot them, uh, you know, clear of the Cavs every time the Cavs came close, which also was a big part of that. Yeah, let, let's talk about Curry for a second because I we've talked all playoffs long about how sort of unlocking this type of game from Curry is the key to the Warriors sort of leveling up to that all-time great offense that we've seen from them very often over the years but like you just mentioned at times during the conference finals uh and when they go into that sort of iso ball mode curry is not as much a part of the offense uh, and they don't get as quality looks as they can get otherwise but last night was sort of the opposite of that right like they were able to get all the matchups they wanted they got curry on kevin love just at will and he destroyed him uh and and curry was just playing in that sort of style that we've seen curry uh be able to play in at, at his best and just making ridiculous shots uh from all over the court he was and but here's the thing about the the way the Cavs were playing that and they still switched a lot they still switched um over half the time they they gave the kevin Durant, uh kevin Durant, yeah they would they they gave the kevin love matchup whenever they wanted it basically but Love didn't do a bad job. Like a lot of those plays came down to offensive rebounds, where there wasn't a box out, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't whatever, and that is harder to stomach. Like Love is going to get beat by Steph Curry um, if Steph is, you know, isoed and you know, whatever. Curry's going to find a cutter, uh, uh, you know, help has to come for Kevin. So they were trying not to help him; they were just leaving him out there. You're going to deal with that, but but yeah, like there were there were breakdowns all over. There there have also been. Uh, there has to be like 10 plays at least in this series. That's a lot of points. And, you know, this game was decided by a lot in the end. But th- there are way too many point, uh, plays in this series where a warrior just springs free and just like is all alone at the basket, no one within 12, 15 feet of him. And that's happened, that happened repeatedly in game one and, uh, in the front half of this game, uh, which is, that's just like miscommunication on these switches, which they're just clearly not used to, to doing. Yeah. Tony, our producer and I were watching actually at, at second spectrum, they just give you this endless loop of plays that sort of meet a certain criteria. And we were just watching every single play over the first two games in which a warrior either set a screen and rolled to the basket and was just completely open because of some miscommunication, you know, poor rotation, bad, uh, bad switch. Or there have been a number of plays in which the screen doesn't even you you would have to use a very liberal definition of screen in order to even consider this a screen roll just because you've got a guy sort of sprint like he's going to set a screen and the the defense is anticipating the screen and they're getting ready to to switch off of it and instead you've got Sean Livingston just make like a beeline for the basket and the and the pass is delivered right on the money uh, and so it's almost like maybe through all these switches and all of this the mind game of okay we're going to allow all these switches were ready for the screens the the Cavaliers defense is getting kind of tripped up into not covering a guy as he goes straight to the basket because he like didn't set a screen he just sort of broke off the screen early and just dove right to the basket 
Right. And that's called slip coverage, which is the same as, you know, your screen coverage, except, you know, if you're slipping the screen. And this was a big thing last season where Kevin Durant, for a lot of his time in Oklahoma City, didn't set the screen. He would just slip the screen and, you know, go out. And he got to Golden State where it's like, no, 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 we kind of want you to set the screen. And he just wouldn't. So the pick and roll that, like, everyone was anticipating the the Curry-Durant pick and roll, like, how are you going to stop that, uh, didn't materialize right away. Uh, it's a thing that in Cleveland also where Kevin, Kevin Love was at his best when he was slipping all the screens, uh, for Rubio and Rubio would just find him like magic and, you know, we'd get the easy two points. Uh, and you have to set like hard, punishing, moving, illegal screens for LeBron and, uh, and company. So yeah, like this is something that they, they're not used to doing, um, because like they're, it, they spent the entire season playing screen coverage, playing slip coverage a certain kind of way. And if you're just switching that up because you're trying to emulate a thing that you've seen another team do in one series, uh, yeah, there, there are things that are going to spring loose. So last night, for example, like on chances created on off-ball points, uh, like overall there were uh, – it was 101 points per 100 possessions, which – points per 100 chances, I should say, by a second spectrum, which is a lot uh, for, for, you know, a half-court offense. And like Clay Thompson was springing around. But on the other side, which is, you know, we should talk about the Warriors defense, which also did a good job on everyone not LeBron last night. Uh, like it was also real bad where the Cavs on the same off ball screens, uh, generated 43.8 points per hundred chances, which is less than half of the worst offense in the league. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we get, we talk about the Cavs offense in a second, uh, and, and sort of everything that's kind of going on there, both good and bad, uh, mostly good with LeBron and bad when it just doesn't involve LeBron. But one other thing I wanted to ask about the the defensive side for the Cavs, especially as they go back home, and we've seen this Cavs team play uh, much better on defense at home than they do on the road, and a lot of it seems to be sort of effort-based. They, they seem to be, you know, playing with more energy, contesting more shots. One of the things that jumped out to me over the first two games of the series is the Cavs have only contested 54 shots per game, which is way below the uh, overall playoff average and far below what the Warriors are doing. The Warriors are contesting 71 Cavalier shots at the opposite end uh, per game. So is it can they be helped a little bit by going back home and just playing with more intensity on defense? Uh, I know that can only get you so far, but, you know, we've seen them play the Warriors in game one, you know, pretty close. They, they probably should have won that game uh, if J.R. Smith remembers to go up with a putback. Uh, so is that sort of an area where maybe Cleveland can build a case that uh, it, it can kind of bounce back once they finally go back to Cleveland? I mean, do they get to even up teams when they go back to Cleveland? Uh, I don't know. Like, so yes, maybe, uh, maybe that helps. Uh, but like, it's, it's really a personnel thing. So like, it's not an accident that the Cavs, like old, slow, like ossified players are getting, you know, bricked by the, this Warriors defense that even without Iguodala out there can switch everything. They can, oh, uh, you're switching off Kevin Durant. Here's like six foot eight of Sean Livingston in your face. Like, oh, you're switching off Livingston. Here's Draymond Green who can check one to five. Like, it is a thing where, yeah, like they just are better at the switching thing there. So, so the off ball stuff is going to, uh, like naturally kind of work both ways in their favor where, but on offense, they can just run you all around at every position and on defense. Uh, they're not going to get run around because they run faster than you. That's why, uh, I guess we've just described why the Warriors are arguably the best team of all time is because they they play this kind of positionless brand of basketball uh at the most versatile level and and highest skill level that it's ever been played uh 
So let's talk about the Cleveland offense because overall in the series, they've been pretty okay, uh, at least in terms of points per 100 possessions. They're scoring 109.5 points per 100 uh, against a Golden State team that was actually pretty good on defense during the year uh, and only gave up 104.2. But they were less effective in Game 2. LeBron, of course, didn't score 51 points again. Uh, I think I noted on Slack that it was like the only player in the league who can have a quiet 29 points, 13 assists, and, and 9 rebounds, was it, uh, is, is LeBron James. Uh, uh, but it did feel a little bit like uh, they they were behind the eight ball most of the game. They were not able to sort of uh, mount any kind of run consistently to counteract what Curry and the Warriors were doing, and they kept missing open shots, uh, which sort of is the is the theme of this series so far. Is that LeBron is creating shots, uh, and they were a little better at making shots that LeBron created in this game than they were in Game One, in which they just missed everything. But it's still a little bit. A little better, but it's still this situation where if LeBron is not personally responsible for generating a chance for someone, they their offense just basically is completely ineffective. So here's a stat from Second mm-hmm. Spectrum. So on shots where LeBron either shoots or passes to the shooter before the shot, the Cavs have an effective field goal percentage of 51%. So for reference sake, the Warriors allow about 49 to 50% on average. So th- those are good shots. Those, those are efficient relative to what you would expect. On every other shot, so any shot that LeBron is not personally involved in either creating for himself or another shooter, they have a 42% effective field goal percentage in mm-hmm. this series so far. And some of that, it, it talks to a thing that we've talked about the whole series or going into the series, which is LeBron's supporting cast, is just really dreadful. But I think that's a very stark uh, number uh, that shows just how much they are relying on LeBron. And they're just barely breaking even when he does uh, make himself involved in the shot. And when he's not involved, they basically have no chance. I mean, to a point, yes. So the the other stats on that are that uh, so if you break down the, the all other players, not LeBron, well, George Hill actually had a really good game in game two. Uh, George Hill, if you look at his pick and roll numbers are, you know, they're not, so LeBron gave you 130 points per 100 chances on pick and roll in game two when he wasn't, uh, you know, shooting as well as he had in game one, which is, you know, absurd. Uh, but George Hill gave you 106, which is still really, really good. George Hill on his drives gave you a comparable number to LeBron's. It was 114 points per 100 chances, uh, compared to 122. Um, and, so what did the Warriors do? They targeted George Hill to get him into foul trouble because they knew if George Hill goes out, if George Hill has to sit down, you know who comes in? Jordan Clarkson comes in, who's good for a 10-point swing every game that Jordan Clarkson like is saying. In, we in ragged on him pretty hard after, was it game one, uh, in which we kind of dumped on him? And in, yes, after the only other game in the series, yes, he's had two not great showings here. But And, and that's a thing where... It really hurts not having Rodney Hood in the rotation where he's just for whatever reason, uh, whether it's, you know, he's just not fitting with the team or he's not like, you know, used to, you know, being deep in the playoffs. Whatever's going on there, Rodney Hood not being able to, to contribute instead of like having to run out Jordan Clarkson when he's playing this poorly hurts. Jose Calderon being, you know, too old and decrepit apparently, uh, uh, hurts. Uh, so he made a shot last night, though. He did make a shot. And he made an appearance to it in garbage time, whatever. But going back to Cleveland, uh, game two is usually when, you know, major, uh, you know, lineup adjustments start to happen. Uh, you have to think that with as catastrophic as that, uh, Clarkson rotation has been, 
maybe they they look there for a change. But yeah, going back to to Hill, like there there are pieces of the offense that like click without LeBron, but really it all does come to LeBron. And in game two, uh, he wasn't shooting as well, but like it seemed like I, I mean, so I'm going to now for for LeBron and Love, you know, play you know armchair, you know, prognosticate or whatever. Uh, it seemed like LeBron just took about two and a half quarters to figure out how to shoot. And from the around the middle of the third quarter, like the eight or six minute mark, he started to make those outside shots where they were just way off in the first half. And so it seemed like while he's going to tell you, oh, there's not too much going on with the eye, like it seems like there is. All right, like so that might just be you know confirmation bias in the first half he was a little cold and the second half it came on but but the way that he approached the shots the way that like he was treating the shots as part of his game changed in the second half and love missed a lot of really short uh kind of around the basket stuff in a ways that like he usually isn't that far off even when he wasn't draped like there wasn't a warrior draped all over him so that's that was another thing where there were there were two of them that were looking not quite right uh, for long stretches of that first half. Yeah, and that speaks to just how much this team needs LeBron to be playing at a superhuman level rather than just the normal, you know, goat level. I don't know what you even want to call it, but like that he got poked in the eye uh, at the what was it at the end of game one or midway through game one, and uh, he definitely was playing with like a visible uh, redness in his eye, and so yeah, that's a great point, and it does show the sort of razor's edge that that this team is on where they need LeBron to be something that it's kind of unfair to expect someone to play at right, right. just I to be able to compete. To be clear, 130 points per 100 chances on pick and roll play coverage is ridiculous. 122 on on drives is ridiculous. And um, the breakdown of those is that's nearly all of the drives that the, the Cavs had, you know, chances created on. Or it's, it's more than half. And it's, it's much more than half of all the pick and rolls. Like, it is a lot of th- – that's just – LeBron was creating at an enormous, enormous rate – while also being visibly playing like under the the standard that we have seen you know come to expect from him <laughs> missing shots that we come to expect so like yes yeah. it it is it is an unreasonable request for him to play better but like looking at game 2 he he could you could see in a world where he makes some of the gimmies at at a higher rate so also along these lines what is going on with Kyle Korver because he was scoring almost 10 points per game for the Cavs in their playoff run leading into the finals and he's been basically a total non-factor in the finals so far he's only scoring two points per game uh that seems like another area in which he's gonna have to start pitching in or they're really really in a lot of trouble well, it's a thing where you saw like his contribution like kind of uh tail off when Boston, you know, paid a little more attention to him also where and all of a sudden like it's not Boston, it's the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, like he he's having a harder time uh you know, springing free on the the Kevin Love little action. He's having a harder time springing free when he's working with Larry Nance or Jeff Green. I mean, he's not a very young player. He's not a very fast player, and if he's working on off-ball stuff and he's being hounded off-ball, uh, yeah, that's going to be tougher. It's also tougher against this d- defense specifically when uh, the offense slows down. LeBron holds the ball a while and like he makes his move. That doesn't give you as much time to uh, to kind of like work your way through the set. Uh, but no, overall, like yeah, Corver does need to pick it up. But I'm not really sure that's like a decision that he can make of like yeah, I'm going to decide to to you know cut faster sure. because you know I'm going to be faster this game. Like yeah, I no, I mean it's just one of many. Things that aren't quite working right for the Cavs and kind of contributing to this 2-0 hole. But 
The good news for the Cavs is that they're heading back to Cleveland. They're eight and one at home in the playoffs so far. They're four and seven on the road. Uh, and even though teams that are up 2-0 in the NBA Finals are 29 and four all time, uh, the 2016 Cavs were one of the four that came back, and LeBron teams as a whole in his career are three and four uh, after falling into an 0-2 hole in a series. So, Kyle, what are you watching for as the series goes back to Cleveland for Game Three? And do you think that there's some chance that they could maybe pull out of this? I mean, they have about the same chance at this point as they did, you know, coming into the series, which is. Slim, but not exactly none. So the two O, uh, it's just sort of assumed that you uh, that you'll fall into the two O hole at Golden State, and sort of you know the series really starts now to see what they can do with the home games. Right. I mean, it would have been nice to have one of the two. It would have been nice to would have been nice. See you know, yeah, what could have, have been, happened yeah. if uh, they went up one. But but yeah, like it's you ideally you know if you want to have the a real you know fighting chance in a series especially as uh, such a big underdog yeah you need uh you need game 1 uh what i'm looking for is if this uh if this steph curry kind of resurgence through one game you know continues on through the rest of the series uh and that is really going to depend a lot on kevin durant <laughs> yeah uh i should say that our colleague at espn ramona shelburne wrote a good story overnight about how this is sort of shaping up for Curry to be named Finals MVP. Famously, you know, he's the he was the MVP of the league uh, and and the scariest player in the league, but wasn't actually the MVP of the Finals either year that they won. Andre Iguodala was the MVP in 2015, and Kevin Durant was the MVP in 2017. So. If he keeps having the outburst that he had uh, in in Game Two, this could be shaping up to be finally that moment in which the one of the best, if not the best player in the game, gets that Finals MVP nod. I w- I would have a probably a bad uh, overall take, but the case to make uh, against that, and like, and yeah, through two games, he's probably the MVP. The case to make for for the other player who might be is uh, who's not LeBron. I was going to say, you mean LeBron? Is is Clay Thompson? <laughs> yeah, where. Uh, every time the Cavs got it to four or five, especially five, they got it to five a couple times, uh, Clay would just come up and just like put a three in their eye. And in game one, Clay is the one who is like creating separation. Clay is kind of just the difference where if, if Durant is, you know, not being quite as, you know, involved, uh, oh, Steph might be through, but then you have to only have to deal with one MVP or whatever. But Clay is, Clay is the thing where, no, no, there's just another like, 50% shooter if you leave him open uh on the floor and who also plays you know chest in your face defense and it's just it's just a lot to overcome and so clay has had a lot of high leverage shots in the in the game it's but yeah curry's uh on in in position to to be mvp here and like the conspiracy theory is are they you know is durant you know kind of you know receding into the background so that steph can win his finals mvp where you know if you remember 96 the the conspiracy theory was oh are the bulls like playing like they have hangovers well because they have hangovers or because they want to you know win back in chicago we'll take it to game six um against the sonics team well i don't think that's actually true where uh it was george carl yeah george carl was the coach of the sonics yeah yeah yeah. where george carl like just refused to put peyton onto lebron uh on LeBron, Jeez, look what I'm doing. <laughs> Freudian How slip. I'm, I am not that old yet. Um, <laughs> but he refused to put uh, Peyton onto onto Jordan until it was kind of too late. But like Jordan did not play the same after uh, Peyton was on him. Tangent. Um, well, that was also back when the seri- when the finals were two three two, right? Uh, and so I think the the Bulls went up three zero in that one, and then they dropped the next two, uh, which 
could kind of lend uh, credence to your conspiracy theory that, mm-hmm. you know, they're trying to get back to the last two games being in Chicago. Jordan wants to win. Maybe time it up. It was Father's Day, I think, or something when he when he won. And it was a very emotional moment. But I don't I don't know that teams it, it's a it's a great luxury. It must be a great luxury if if you can play with things and kind of uh, play the rope a dope to try to set up winning where and when you want to. Right, stacking the deck to be like, oh, which which of our stars do we want to yeah. you know be in position to win this thing? Uh, must be nice. Yeah, and still, I think uh, it would never happen if the series ends up being lopsided. But we talked about it last uh, after the last game, also. But you still could. Maybe make a credible case at the end, even if the Cavs lose, that LeBron should be named MVP. So that's something else to watch out for amidst all of the Curry versus Durant versus Clay versus whomever talk for for MVP. Um, anything else on your mind going into Game Three, or just excited to see maybe the potential that the Cavs can can kind of make the series interesting? I would like to see what happens, just because I mean I've shifted into just full on just fan mode at times in this series of just like well damn look at look at this like yeah, look at this effing shot that that curry made and and like, look at this drive by lebron and so forth um so yeah i mean i would i would prefer if it were a competitive series i would you know prefer if if we go to you know six or seven games doesn't look like that's going to be the case um after after game two but but who knows if they if they can get these two in in Cleveland uh, by some chance? Yeah, and the Cavs have you know the Cavs have done this before in some ways. Every time we sort of count them out, they at least make things interesting. So I wouldn't be surprised at all if they won. Well, I don't know how interesting last year was after they went down three zero. Well, but. okay, maybe two years ago. I'm thinking more along the lines of. But even in these playoffs, you know they've they've had uh, they've they've found themselves up against the wall and been able to sort of fight back from it. So that's sort of what I think. Cavs fans are, are kind of hoping for here. We'll see if it holds up. For what it's worth, our Carmelo model gives the Warriors a 92% chance of winning the championship now. But who's to say how many games that would be in if, if they do end up winning? I, I can't stop. I'm not over game one. Yeah, is anyone well, over? Is, is anyone, anyone over game, over one? game like, one? I mean, we just saw some footage. Uh, Chris posted in our Slack uh, the kind of uncut footage of LeBron uh, from the moment that he, you know, the famous now famous moment where he's yelling at Jr. and kind of gesturing toward the basket uh, while on the court. After that, the full walk over to the bench, sit down on the bench, sit one seat away from Jr. on the bench. No one makes eye contact. No one says a word. LeBron just looks so defeated uh, and. and and, and he checks with a coach uh, on, you know, that they that they had a timeout. And, of course, they had it. They didn't use it. Uh, and just the, the oh, level of – it was a difficult uh, clip to watch. It was like two and a half minutes of uncut, just full, uncompromising uh, shot of LeBron uh, just looking as defeated and, and just frustrated as I've seen him in his, in his entire career. I mean, yeah, I- same, but the other thing about the, that to to look at that like just stands out to me every time they they do the full like from break to break the full cut whatever. So if you don't go to a lot of games uh, and you just you know watch the the broadcast, it, it's it feels like a longer break. It it feels more discreet where there's you know the the TV timeout. Marv takes you out uh, or Mike Breen in this case takes you out. Uh, you go to commercial and you know, then your your brain goes somewhere else and you come back and oh it's time for basketball again. Where it's like in the arena, if you're just like there watching, if you're there, whatever, things happen fast. And it's not like you have like a bunch of time to like collect yourself. So like they had just 
had a chance to win the finals like game one and they have two minutes to to get their heads right get back in there it's it's it happens in a hurry in a way that uh just looking at the you know, oh they had they had a timeout and like came back whatever um like on the statute it's it's not quite as like oh no 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 they they had a very short amount of time to to get over a very emotional uh kind of revelation that, yeah. that, that had just been laid on them yeah exactly it was it was simultaneously like too short to really process or you know it's asking a lot to process in that short amount of time and it also was like the longest two and a half minutes ever just to see them kind of sitting on the bench next to each other awkwardly in silence and just sort of knowing what was sort of hanging over both of them so i don't know Ho- that- hopefully I still feel like JR is sort of the ultimate player, and he even mentioned this in his press availability since the, um, the, 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 the game and everything that went down was that, you know, he is the type of player who can respond to something like that and sort of shrug it off. He didn't in, in game two, but it still wouldn't surprise me if he, uh, played a role, at least made some kind of shot, uh, partially redeeming himself later in the series. In the first quarter, he had a couple real, he had like a nice stretch there. And I thought, steals, I thought in that time, I was like, okay, this is it. JR is going to have the redemption game. And then it's sort of fizzled. For the most impressive part of that whole sequence where it was, it was a crushing sequence to watch on the the video we're talking about, like of the immediately after the gaff, uh, is at the end of it, everyone's still crushed. Everyone's just like trudging off. JR just like shakes it off, just like, it's like, we got to get out there, like, right? And and they're you know they're going to do the tip off to go into overtime. He does his normal pregame routine, mm-hmm. the same thing. You it's almost like this thing. It gave you a, a, a insight into these athletes where it's like, you know, you have your routine. We're going to tip the ball off. This is what I do before tip off, whether it's the opening game of the season or going into overtime after I've made this colossal blunder that probably cost us a game of the NBA finals. You got to go through your routine either way. And I should say, uh, you know, there's nothing worse than having someone describe a video to you on a, the medium of a podcast, but, uh, you should yeah, check go, out go watch the video. Rohan Nedkarni, uh, his, uh, it's his Twitter handle is at Rohan Nedkarni, but he put up the video, uh, and, and in the tweet he says, when LeBron finds out that the, the Cavs had a timeout, uh, LeBron's reaction there is pretty priceless. He put that up today, uh, right after midnight. So I think that'll do it for this show. We're going to talk to you later in the week after game three, and I'm sure we'll have even more to dissect at that point. Until then, our podcast producers are Tony Chow and Katie Ferguson. Our podcast commissioner is Chad Matlin. Keep sending us your questions and feedback at podcast at 538.com. Whatever your favorite podcasting app is, we are also there, whether it's the Listen tab of the ESPN app or on Apple Podcasts, where you can subscribe at iTunes.com slash 538. Be sure to rate the show, leave a review. It helps others discover the program. For Kyle and Chris, I'm Neil. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next time.